If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, speaking about safety. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, we've been lo- 13 and 14, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I found this little illustration, I found <laughs> it was pretty interesting. Two years ago, Mr. Ra- uh, Mr. Rajiv Kumar of Ghazibad, India, I probably butchered that, but anyways, contacted his local police, believing he and his family had fallen victim to a group of sophisticated, ruthless hackers. He told police that the hackers were threatening to expose sensitive photos of him and then kill him and his family unless he paid them a million rupees, about 17,500 Canadian. Kumar said that he ignored the threatening emails at first, but then the hacker started messing with his phone, somehow changing his number, and then started reaching him at the family home. Kumar now realized that the criminals were watching him and his family and following their every move. During their investigation, police found that the IP address from which the initial extortion email and subsequent message came, were sent, had been the same as the victim's own IP address, which meant that the emails were coming from inside his own home. The police started questioning Kumar's 11-year-old son, and the boy confessed that he had been the one extorting the family. The fifth grade student said he had learned about cybercrime by watching YouTube videos and tutorials and thought he was clever enough to cover his tracks. What a shock to learn that your 11-year-old son is a criminal mastermind and is threatening to kill you. However, listen to this. The Bible makes another startling claim in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That's right, a man's own heart can deceive him into thinking that wrong is right and right is wrong. That's the problem with the world today because that's the condition of the human heart and that is why it's so important that every person receive Jesus Christ into his or her heart and then put their heart into the hands of God for safekeeping. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. But wait, there's more. It's equally important, writes this author, that we hide the word of God in our hearts. Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Oh, beloved, let's not fall prey to the deceptions of the human heart. Let's crown Jesus Christ to be Lord of our lives and kings of our heart today. And king of our heart today. Tonight, I want to look at a passage of scripture about the Lord Jesus Christ. I've entitled it, The Narrow-Minded Path to Eternal Glory. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me and look at Jeremiah, or excuse me, Matthew 7, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. That word straight is also translated narrow. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in therein. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. As we approach this verse, Christ gives us a command. He's given us multiple commands. Come unto me, enter, repent. And the first command we find here that Jesus says, he says, enter ye. It's a command. Now, a person who gives you a command is either mimicking authority or they are authority. Did you ever have a sibling growing up and they told you, you must do this? Maybe your, your brother or sister or whomever, they didn't have the right to give you the authority, but they tried to be the authority. Maybe it's an older brother, older sister, whomever. Maybe it was a cousin. Maybe it was something else. But they tried to order you around, and they didn't have the authority to do it. But your responsibility is to determine whether the person who's giving you a command has the position and the right to be an authority. 
Once you determine that they are an authority, it is your, uh, dis, uh, it's your decision whether you are going to listen or not to that authority, right? Am I go- is this, number one, is this person an authority that I should listen to? Number two, number, not, is this an authority, first question, first thing you need to settle. Number two, is this an authority that I'm going to obey, right? Because it is an authority, you have a choice, obey or disobey, that's your choice. And this is the decision where the vast majority of the world fails. Now I'd like you to look with me at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I'm just, this is going to be several sermons on this passage of Scripture here. And, uh, but as I was doing my studies, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Our world fails under the authority of God. He has a right to tell us what to do. He, you know, you have a choice. Am I going to listen? Now you can listen, but with that listening, will you, will you obey? Will you follow through on what has been given to you to do? Just as I said, as a Christian, you have a job to do that only you can do that I can't do. There is something, now the choice is, am I going to do the job I've been called to do? In Romans chapter 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So they have the truth but they hold it in unrighteousness. That unrighteousness there is they hold it in a means where they are living in a, in, a, in, a, in a way of life that is displeasing to God. They're unrighteous. They're not pleasing to God. They're not right with God. They're unrighteous. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it in them. Every person has a conscience. My daughter, when she was born, and, and she's younger, even if she's a year, year and a half old, I had to, she had to get a time out. She was, one night, she was misbehaving. And, uh, you know, there had to be some correction on her to get her to fall asleep. She was being a sinner. I didn't teach her to be selfish. I didn't teach her that I want my way all the time. I never taught it to her. That's, that's born. That's our sinful nature. We each have a conscience. For the invisible things of him, verse 20, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. An agnostic is a person that tries to deny, agnostic is a person that says there is no God, but he's denying the truth because his own conscience tells him there's a truth. By the very fact you have a conscience of right and wrong, is a determination that there is something that's creating a standard with which is right and wrong. For you to have a conscience, mom and dad say, or mom or dad or someone might say, don't touch the hot stove. Well, they're doing it for your protection. You touch it, you burn yourself, and then you try to hide it. I remember a story of my mother. She lived up in Alaska for many years, well, for years when she was a young child. And, and they told the kids all the time, do not, in the wintertime, don't lick the flagpole. I think it's wise here. Don't lick the flagpole here. So she goes and she licks the flagpole on a dare. What happens? Her tongue sticks to the flagpole. She tears it off. It's bleeding. And then now she has to go into class. Her tongue is all swollen and she has to go into reading class and she has to read. It's her turn to read. 
uh-oh, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. I guess they told us that there was a reason not to lick the flagpole. But we find that, and that because that, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Man wants to stamp out the idea of God. Vain in their imaginations. I mean, the imagination of man today is all over the place. Some of the movies and all these things that we see today, you're like, wow, that's quite the imagination. And the vanity of man is so broad. Jeremiah speaks about that in Jeremiah chapter 7. This is my introduction. I'm just laying some of the foundational work that we start with a conscience and we start with a knowledge of God. That there is a God. Now, you, don't, you know that there is a God. There's a general uh, understanding of God. There's a, we don't know him personally, but we know that there is, if you want to think about it, there is a higher power. There is an entity that started everything that there is. You cannot look at this world and not see that there's a design of this world. You find that there's certain animals, there's a bee and uh, uh, flowers and wasps and flowers, that that flower could not exist without that particular wasp because its tongue gets in and it, it ends up giving it the pollination it needs and no other animal could give it. They both had to be designed at the exact same time in order to exist. And you find that all over creation. There's things in your own eyeballs, and in your own body, that everything has to be put together. We realize that there's a creator. But in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 23 through 24, But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels, and in the imagination of their evil heart, it went backward and not forward. Man does not want accountability. When I say man, I'm talking humanity as a general. Now, people in Jeremiah 9, 14, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart. You know what? Man is okay with walking and after, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. People are okay to walk after the traditions of their parents. We find all sorts of things today. Spiritism, animism certain quote-unquote Christian traditions that do not find their basis on the Scriptures. The vanity of man is after tradition. Everyone walks in their own ways. They, walk, they turn back to the iniquities of their forefathers. You know, in John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, the heart of man will search for internal peace, but never to find it. How do I get peace within? How can I be content? How can I be satisfied? And that is the question with which millions and billions of dollars are made per year. To sell self-help books, philosophy books, psychology books, religious guru books, you name it, millions of dollars a year are sold with the idea that people will find their true self. And they want that peace. People are searching for peace. 
And tonight we must recognize the call, we must heed the authority and resist the rebellion. Number one, we must understand who is our authority, who is calling you, and whom you are to resist. May the Lord be not only God, but your Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the hope of this world. There is not many voices that are correct. There is only one voice you are to respect and submit to. Resist tormented pluralism for the bliss of exclusivism with Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Lord, I yield tonight to thee. God, I need your help. Father, this is your holy word, an opportunity to stand behind your desk and the privilege to be a pastor. And, and Lord, I pray tonight as the word of God goes forth that should there be anyone here that is not saved tonight, that God, they'd call on you. They'd realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And asking Jesus and Jesus alone to forgive them. And Father, for those of us as Christians, may we realize and maybe even have you inspect our hearts and show us, Lord, if there's any pluralism that maybe we've adopted from the world. But Father, you've given us a very clear, narrow path to go through. And Lord, in that path, there's eternal hope. I pray tonight, Lord, that you'd comfort hearts in a way that only you can. Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy. I love you. Help us to have a wonderful evening as we search your scriptures. And God, may you be glorified in all that we say and do. I love you, Jesus. In your precious name I pray. Amen. When you think about pluralism, I, was doing a, I did a little uh, research on that. Pluralism coming from the uh, pluralism monitor, but Global Pluralism Monitor is the name of the site. And, they put, and this is what they say on pluralism. It is a positive response to diversity. Diversity in society is a universal fact, but how societies respond to diversity is a choice. It is in each country a dynamic and complex. Identities come in many forms and often intersect in ways that shape people's experience of the world. When embracing pluralism, societies go beyond simply including diverse peoples and communities into existing institutions and cultures. Instead, pluralism encourages people, encourages societies, excuse me, to make changes that lead to the recognition and belonging of diverse peoples. Allows people's lives, communities, institutions to be enriched with new perspectives and ideas. It means recognizing, valuing, and respecting diversity. It is not just desirable, it is, a, it is vital to security, peace, and prosperity for future generations. Living positively with diversity is challenging. Individuals, groups, and organizations may face resistance and even violence for supporting pluralism. Over time, positive responses to diversity can shift how is perceived and how one is perceived and legislated when societies choose to value differences and take deliberate actions guided by that choice everyone benefits now the thought here is that everyone has their own opinions their own beliefs and it's all okay now, as a Christian, that stands. Now, I'm saying we are embracing, we are kind, we're caring, we're compassionate with different cultures. Cultures relate to each other differently. We understand that. We live in Thompson. There's many different cultures here. It's a wonderful thing. 
But the one thing that we cannot be pluralistic on is on belief of God. I'd like you to look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 on this. When the Bible says something is right or the Bible says something is wrong, it doesn't matter what the pluralistic view is. I've got to say this is what God says. And I've got to stand there. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to be mean. There's no, there's no room in the Christian realm for that uh, harshness. Now we understand that Jesus Christ would be, you know, he was harshest with the religious elites of his day, the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees and the scribes. He called them uh, hypocrites. He called them vipers and all sorts of, you know, awful names. But he wanted the people to be aware that these are dangerous people. Jesus embraced all people to come unto him. But he did not cater to the pluralism of the day in second corinthians chapter 4 verse 2 but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of god deceitfully but by manifestation of what does it say there the truth so there's a singularity of truth it doesn't say a truth it says the truth it's exclusive. There's not multitudes or multiplicity of truth. There is the truth that the Bible espouses. The truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in them. So I want to ask you the question. Where is the source of pluralism? It's Satan. The God of this world. And the truth is, and he says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. The narrow gate. The truth. Now, does that make us, as many would say, you're narrow-minded. I'm only as narrow-minded as the Bible tells me. I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be mean. I'm not any better than anyone else. Because you hold truth doesn't mean you're any better. It just means I'm on the side of what is correct. Look with me at Acts chapter 13. And see, this very perspective is what so many are going to fight against because they will say you're narrow, you're narrow-minded, you're bigoted, you're whatever the, the adjective that's negative that they want to associate with you because you won't budge from the position you're on. But I want to ask you this question. If Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, and if heaven is only gained one way, if, if salvation and reconciliation with God is only gained one way, then everything else is wrong. That's what the Bible says. So I've got to determine in my mind that not all ways work. That we're not all right. Two, two people can both be wrong, but if one person is right, the other can't be, and if, and if they have a differing opinion, the other person can't be right. You can be wrong and I can be wrong, but if you're right and I'm wrong, 
then only one thing is right. Truth is truth. Truth doesn't change with circumstances. In Acts chapter 13, verse 26, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, excuse me, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and the rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. What happened here? In verse 28, And they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. They wanted Jesus killed, but they did not know him, and they did not know the voice of the prophets. They didn't know the Bible. They didn't know truth. The people are so filled with their own ideas, they're so filled with assimilating beliefs, which is pride, that they have lost the discernment to realize who is speaking to them. You see, it doesn't matter if people are against you now. What matters is that when I'm in eternity, I'm going to spend eternity with God. Because I sure don't want to spend eternity in the place the Bible calls hell. I don't think any of us do. Truth, is there's only one way of truth to Christ. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. The first thing we find is a voice of hate and bitterness. There's so many voices in the world today. One of the first voices that we'll hear is a voice of hate and bitterness that people can have in their lives. And, and, and we, we exist in our hatred. We exist in our unforgiveness. And there's a lot of voices trying to get you to, to follow that voice, to follow that ideology, to follow that philosophy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. To whom ye forgave anything, I forgave also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. God is calling us to, give, to let go of hatred, to, to have forgiveness. But there's a voice in our, there's so many things that you've been wrong, this bad has happened to you, so follow, embrace the whole victim mentality. When God says, I've forgiven you. You know, all of these things, we must, as we hear all these different voices, of the, all these different ideologies and thoughts and philosophies of life today and culture and news and various things that come into our mind, that enter into our eye gate, we've got to be discerning what does the Bible say is truth. And there's a voice of hatred and bitterness. You don't need Jesus. You don't need this. You need to follow this path of hatred and bitterness against others. And that's the exact same thing that the Palestinians today are going through. Raising their children from elementary school that it is right to kill the Jews. A voice of hatred and bitterness. In fact, on this Wednesday night, we were studying through the book of Galatians every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. And we'll talk about that whole thought of what is Palestine. It's an interesting thought, but that's on this Wednesday at 7. But... There's another thought, there's another voice that is calling you away from, to distract you from the narrow gate. The voices in 2 Peter chapter 2, look with me here. 
You see, these voices are to get you distracted from that narrow gate, that straight gate. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein, and overcome the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. This is the voice to indulge. The voice, great swelling words of vanity. You know what, the vanity here is that, hey, just do what pleases you. You do you. There's another one in Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, the voice of legalism and religious bondage. It talks about false brethren, unawares, brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. You know what, in Jesus Christ, when you go through that narrow gate, there's liberty. I'm free. I don't have to sin. I choose to sin, but I don't have to sin. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. There's a voice of the religious elites, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and others that love to sit at the uppermost rooms and feasts and they like all the titles, rabbi, rabbi, or some pope or pontiff or whatever, some great title. There's also others of various religious crafts. We find in Ephesians 4.14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Curious religious craft. Hey, pray this prayer and all's going to be well. Hey, buy this little trinket. Man, your Christian life's going to get a lot better. Buy this little anointing oil. Buy this. Do this. All these various little things. If you go through all of these things... You're going you're to arrive at some pinnacle of Christianity. But all of these things, if you're following all of this, but you never get to know Jesus, you'll miss the gate. There's the voice of the fear of death. People all their lifetime subject to bondage. There's a the voice of sensual pleasure. Proverbs chapter 7, the where the strange woman comes to entice a man with her much flattering lips. You know what the Bible tells us? That we speak with significance. When you say something, there's a reason you're saying it. Some, in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Some people say, I'm just going to follow my heart. I want to tell you, as we mentioned there in Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. If you follow your heart, you will never make your way to God. If you're just following your heart and your emotions. There's another voice of worry. Well, I, I, I take no thought for your life. I, I could never get to God because what if he wants me to be poor? I could never do that. There's a voice of independence. I don't need God. I got it. I'm I'm good. There's a voice of tradition or superstition. Do you realize what super, we have superstition all around us? In Acts 17, 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. That word superstition 
is excessively credulous beliefs and reverence for the supernatural. You know, sometimes the supernatural might be an old wives' tale, or don't, you know, if, if we do this, you know why in some elevators there's not a 13th floor, because according to, to beliefs, if you have a 13th floor, the number 13 is bad, right? That's superstition. And maybe there's things that your, your mom or your grandma or someone told you growing up, and you look back and you're like, that was kind of silly. Superstition. And I can follow all of these little things, but you have a choice to which voice you heed. You see, the voice you heed is the voice of your need or aspiration. What do I mean by that? You're going to follow the thoughts of that which meets your needs or what you think meets your needs. But here he says, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You see, the voice of Christ is a direct result of the way you live. You see, Christian, that voice of Christ, you are that voice of Christ to the world, as Roman, excuse me, Matthew 5, 15 and 16, neither do men light a candle, and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When he says enter, Jesus does here, he's saying there's a straight, narrow, exclusive path to Jesus. It's not broad. Now, it's, it's an invitation to all. He wants everyone to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish. Hell was not made for uh, humans. It was made for the devil and his angels. But the voice you listen to, the thoughts, the people that you listen to. Now, if you're a Christian, you can't lose your salvation. Praise the Lord for that. You can lose your joy, but you can't lose your salvation. You can't be non become a child of God anymore. You're always God's child. I want to ask you a question. When you knock on the door of a friend's house, how do you expect to be greeted? I would, for me personally, I'd expect to be greeted with a smile, a warm welcome, and an expectation of a good time when I come into that person's house. When you knock on the door of a stranger, you're not sure what to expect. But when you heed the voice of that tenant, if that person of a stranger says, come in! you know at least you're welcome inside. There is altogether in the minds of many this idea that they're automatically, because there's some belief in God, but they've never put their faith in Christ, that they're already on their way to heaven. I'm a good person. You see, the need that I need to be met first He says, enter ye in. God's calling us. Christ is calling us. Enter ye in. But if I'm distracted by all these various voices, our goal as a Christian is to give the truth so that the voice the person listens to is the voice of truth and they'll enter through the narrow way. Jesus is the need that I need to be met in my life. You know, the question is, why would someone want to enter into faith with Christ alone? 
Matthew 9, 12, when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that behold need need not a physician, but they that are sick. You know why I came unto Jesus Christ, April 30th, 1986. I bowed down, I bowed up, kneeled on my, got on my knees next to my bed with my dad and I prayed and asked Christ to forgive me of all my sins and be my savior. I had the need I had as I realized I was a wicked sinner. I realized, man, I was under such heavy conviction and I needed that burden rolled away of my sin debt. And I asked Christ and he relieved it and man, there was unbelievable joy. You've got to have a realization that's the gate I need to enter. That's the only gate I need to enter. Jesus would tell the church there in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Here is the, the exact context of this verse as he's knocking to get into the doors of the church. The church has been replaced with programs and entertainment and all sorts of things, but Christ has been put out of the church. He's also calling people, and as he's been put out, there's people that are coming into the church and they're not believers. They can talk the talk, they can look like a Christian, but they're not a Christian. Have you ever known people that say they're a Christian and man, for a time, they seem like they're on fire for God. They they seem to be reading their Bible and doing their stuff. A hard time comes in their life and they're like, I'm done with Christianity. I no longer want any part of that. They were never saved. They didn't ever have that real relationship with Jesus Christ. He was maybe a momentary decision. Maybe he gave me a good feel-good feeling because I went to, a, I went to a, a sermon, I went to a concert, and, and I felt something that felt really good, and, and it felt like Jesus, or what I thought was Jesus, and I went with it for a time. But when the hard times came, I'm giving up on Jesus. I'm going to go somewhere else because there's a different voice that will meet my needs. We can be consumed was shutting out the invitation to enter by means of one of the world's voices. But who are the honored guests? Oh, my friend, this is exciting. In Matthew chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, who are the honored guests? Who are the ones that enter that straight gate? It's not who you think. Matthew 9, 12, uh, verse uh, 10, excuse me, Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. We'll look at several passages here in Matthew. I need to hasten. This is the exciting part. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Why? Look with me at Matthew eleven nineteen, going on a little further. Matthew eleven nineteen, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Jesus, a friend of drunkards, gluttons, publicans, harlots, sinners. Those are the invited guests. They entered that gate because they realized their need. That's who came. 
In Psalm 147.3, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Look with me at Luke 18. It's so many religious people think, I've got it. I'm a good enough person. I've done enough good works to get me to heaven. I'm okay with God. They're the ones that listen to the voice of religious legalism. I can get to heaven my own way. I can get to heaven by being a good person. I can get to heaven by, I was baptized as an infant. I can get to heaven by taking the sacraments. I can get to heaven by, you name it. In Luke 18, 13, the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. It was the broken and the humble. It's not many wise, not many noble are called. You know what, God, there's not a lot of rich people, very wealthy people, not a lot of nobility and politicians that get saved. Do you realize that most of the people are saved, if they do get saved, are saved in their youth. Between the ages of 4 to 12 is where most kids, most people will get saved in their youth. Because they're humble. They, they understand some things. And, and there's a lot of people that get saved out. But the bulk of the salvations happen as kids. Who are those that are not invited Look with me at Luke 14. Who are those that will not enter? Luke 14, 18. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Oh, I can't enter that gate. I've got a better gate. I've got a wider gate. And Luke 14, 18. And they all with one consent uh, began to make excuse. So the servants, they bid them. Let's, uh, verse 16 for context. Then said he unto them, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. Needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets in lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. There's a busy landowner, there's a busy professional, a busy family man. Who was it that was invited? The poor person, the maimed which is handicapped, the halt, the blind, the homeless, the wanderer, those are the ones that would enter. You see, it was the hard-hearted. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as Psalm 95 discusses. Those who are self-righteous, well, I'm not like the publicans. You can't enter that gate. You're not welcome. That's not a gate for you. You're wanting the broad gate. You're wanting your own gate. Those who are materialistically comfortable. In Revelation chapter 3, the church 
One of the churches that Jesus would speak to, the church of Laodicea. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Hey, I've got, I've got enough wealth. I'm comfortable. I've got a nice house, good job, cushy home, lovely wife, good children. I'm good. You're comfortable. Sure, you can come to church. Sure, you can play the part. But my friend, it doesn't mean you're going to enter. got a lot more to go through I'll have to I'll finish it up tonight there you see Christian Jesus said enter ye in at the straight gate there's a lot of voices that want you to go the broad way your way is okay your way is okay this way is okay in fact Even churches are now, quote-unquote churches, are saying, hey, pick a church of your choosing. Whatever makes you feel good. You know what? I, I don't want what just makes me feel good. You know what makes you feel good sometimes as a kid? Eating a lot of candy and ice cream. Sure isn't good for the dentist. Sure isn't good for your body. Sure isn't good for having a good, healthy immune system. But it makes you feel good for a time. The truth that Jesus says here is enter ye. He's given us a command. He's given us a calling. Come, enter. At the straight gate. It's a singular, exclusive gate that you can enter. My friend tonight, you don't need to be smart. You don't need to be academic. You don't need to be a good person as the world would esteem. You just need to submit. Trust that Jesus died on that cross. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's simple. Just listen. Acknowledge your own sinfulness. Ask Him to forgive you. I've heard some people, well, I I, I need to get better first before I accept Christ. No, you're trying to still go the broad way. He's the one that will change you. He's the Spirit of God comes in you and it totally transforms your life. You see, the narrow-minded path is the way to eternal glory. And tonight, as you think about that very truth, and we'll follow on, heed the authority on this, but what a joy it is. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be good, as the world sees it. Wealthy, academic, you don't have to be any of that. That's not what God looks at. We spoke about that this morning, about the Antichrist there in Revelation 13. All of those things, that's what the world's looking for, for a world ruler. That's not what Jesus is looking for. He says, go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be full. He says, hey, anyone that wants to come, come. But you've got to enter through the straight gate. You've got to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior. My friend tonight, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of all your sins, there's a cross, a representation of what Jesus did. He went to a cruel cross. He let his own people put him on that cross, crucify and murder him, the God of all glory. Here is Jesus, God, the creator in human flesh, God incarnate on that cross, suffering for us. He died, and then here's the, the victory. He rose again. He rose again. Christian It is simple. 
It's just simple humility before God. Ask Him to forgive you of all your sins and be your Savior, and you're forgiven. And if you do, He'll forgive you. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, as we come to a time of invitation, I want to challenge you. Number one, do you know that you know that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that you might know that you have eternal life. You can know for sure that you're a child of God. And Christian, it's not that all ways are right. There's one way that is right. And it's not that I'm any better than anyone else. But it is I want to enter through the straight gate. I want to do it God's way, the Bible way. And if the Bible says it, it's true. And I will follow the path of truth over the path of the crowd that leads to destruction. And maybe in your own life you've started to assimilate some of these other beliefs and we've got to get back. What does the Bible say? That's our authority. As you're there just a moment longer praying, I'll conclude us here in prayer in just a moment. But I challenge you, God, ask God, is there anything in my life maybe I'm compromising? God, I want to... You've called us the straight gate, the truth. Lord, may I live like a Christian to lead people to the, the truth of Jesus Christ. Because broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Christian, you're the light. The very light to lead people to Christ. Don't let your actions make them think that all ways are okay. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for being our gracious Savior. Our Father, I thank you. We don't have to go like we do the chip aisle and figure out what chip we want and what size of chips we want, but Father, you've made it very easy. You've said you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, we're not to be mean. We're not any better than others with other beliefs, but Father, the one I'm seeking to please is you. Father, may we enter in at the straight gate for all who are unsaved and for those of us as Christians, Lord, may we be thankful that it's not on our merits because you called the poor and the lame. And, and God, it's not our merits that gets us to you. It's simply a faith, a, a humble, childlike faith in Christ that we are born again. I love you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for salvation that is so free. Lord, may we go out and shine forth the light of Jesus Christ, inviting people to the truth through the narrow gate. Thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. God bless.